This is Power Athlete Radio. With your hosts, Denny Kaye, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. What's up? Episode 48 in the house. 48, gentlemen. Wow. All right. We got a good show. Playtech and Summers is with me, and we got a special guest on the horn as well. What's up, dudes? What's going on, gentlemen? What's happening, Denny? How's things, fellas? Our special guest is Dave. Uncle Dave. Uncle Dave. (laughs) <laughs> uncle, we call him Uncle Dave because he's that that drunk uncle who takes his pants off at the holiday parties and uh, just doesn't know doesn't really know the limits of uh, you know when to say when to stop. You know, he doesn't listen to Feeling the pleas for help. Good. It's hard for people like that to control themselves. The next time I show up at your doorstep in my tidy whitey, scratching myself half in the bag. That's pretty much the life of the party right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, why, here, Dave, why don't you just uh, why you tell everybody a little bit about themselves, about yourself, or whatever you can reveal for uh, for our audience here. Yeah, sure. So, uh, real quick and simple, I've been in the military uh, just over 17 years, uh, and I've basically for roughly about just under 17 years been in the special operations community uh, either through the selection process or active duty in special operations within the United States. So that's it in a nutshell. Nice. What kind of, uh, what's the connection with CrossFit football, the power athlete uh, template, training philosophy, and your personal training, if so. Any. Yeah, um, real quick, I mean, how I got into this whole thing is, um, you know, I, I got introduced to CrossFit about 07 and did it for just like the CrossFit, the main site.com, the main site for about two years uh, till about 09. And then just started to uh, look to try other things, do to something different. And uh, just oddly enough, speaking with Rob Wolf, uh, I had mentioned I was going to California, and he basically said, hey, you need to go by my buddy's place, uh, John Wellborn, CrossFit Balboa, talk to him. So I went over. Literally, I think I showed up on a Friday. Uh, John basically put me through a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of lifts and some stuff, and then they were doing a CrossFit football cert that weekend. And uh, I was actually staying at Mike Bergner's place, and then I would just drive up and do the the cert, and then uh, I think it was uh, you know Kate on Saturday was like, hey, instead of driving back and forth, you just want to stay at our place. So I ended up crashing at John's uh, like two nights after meeting him, and I think it was all downhill from there. Yeah, that's when he became officially Uncle Dave. And, yeah, and uh, as John likes to remind everybody, I uh, he had to return all sorts of money for the cert. <laughs> Yeah, uh, wh- what's the story behind that? Weren't you... Uh... I think I offended every person that was actually in the facility. What was, uh, but what were you doing? shape or form. Where was the cert at? It was at Balboa. It was at the old Balboa location. Was that the one that Lalonde was at as well? No. No, that was another um, one we had to return money for. Yeah, remember the, uh, the girl that you guys had there who was always wearing the mask? No. She was wearing the, the oxygen deficient um, uh, deprivation thing. mask. Or yeah, the the deprivation. Thank you. Glad you read minds. Uh, she was there. Um, I made fun of one of the Marines because he had the most horrible tattoo oh, all over yeah. his arms. Yeah, I heard this story. I mean, it literally looks like they were prison tats done with melted Crayola markers. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard. It, yeah, so John likes to remind everybody that I think uh, I am the only reason he's ever had to return money. Well, maybe except for Lalonde there. Yeah. 
But uh, Dave's a fucking good time, man. And uh, he's he's the drunk uncle who comes around and and really lightens up the holidays. You know what I mean? So, so John writes. Um, we were talking a little bit off air. You said that John's been writing uh, your pro your programming for a while. Can yeah. you like? generally talk about that without getting into the nuts and bolts of what that looks like? Because I'm sure a lot of people um, would be interested in just kind of knowing what that would look like. Somebody with more of a, I'm going to assume it, it, it's going to go more like what you're used to. I want to say endurance, but that's probably not the right term, you know. Um, maybe you could just elaborate on that. Yeah, so, um, and just and just bear in mind that these uh the, the way John has programmed my stuff is different, per se, than somebody that's looking to go through selection. So if you're looking to go through, say, like the, the Special Forces selection um, or, or MARSOC or become a PJ or, or a combat controller or whatever, something like that, or, or go to BUDS, uh, I think those stressors and how you train for that is a little bit different. Uh, primarily what uh, – and so, so initially, real quick, initially I just uh, – followed the CrossFit football program for probably about six months, and then John actually wrote a template for me, and uh, it was it was it was a great program. I mean, I, I got awesome results on it, and uh, I think I was only doing uh, two Metcons out of the week, uh, one, and then I did a, a sprint day, and then I did a long day, and that long day was basically uh, anything under 45 minutes. Um, I, I would venture to guess that I don't think in terms of like the special operations community there's a true need to, to be an endurance athlete and I, I think most people when you say endurance athlete, triathlete pops in their head because we don't really, nobody in the military truly needs to be an endurance athlete. I mean if you look at the, the things that have gone wrong for the military, i.e. like the worst possible scenarios you know, like Marcus Luttrell's lone survivor um, or, or something like that. You know, that guy's not, he's not out in the flats of Afghanistan or in the mountains of Afghanistan running flat out for half an hour, 45 minutes. He's literally running from rock to rock. Uh, and that's about a 20-meter sprint or 20-yard sprint. He's ducking behind that, then he's probably sprinting to something else. So I would venture to guess an endurance athlete is not really optimal. But... Uh, you definitely need that uh, endurance piece, and so that's why, like, Saturday mornings I would do something long, about half an hour. Maybe that's a ruck, you know, throw on a weighted vest or throw on a heavy backpack or uh, jump in the water and swim, you know, uh, a mile, go for a five- to seven-mile run, anything there, just uh, just to keep your body used to that uh, sort of, uh, I guess, realm of uh, physical exertion, if you will. Cool, because um, like some of the quest questions I'll get, because we have a Navy base, I don't know, 20 minutes from here, and uh, some of like the younger demographic will come in, and it's kind of like assumed that anybody, or at least I'm getting this impression, like anybody in special forces or say like a Navy SEAL should have, should be in this physical state where like at any given time they could drop in go into like a triathlon and win it, you know, or if, if the SEAL fit program, which I'm not trying to bash SEAL fit, but if you look at that, you see like this intense workload. And I, I think people assume like that's the direction or like the, you know, the way that an elite, you know, military um, operator would train. And it's like the exact opposite of that. That's what it sounds like, you know. I wouldn't necessarily say Danny, it's it's the exact opposite. What what I would say is so. Um, I I think the way that guys train for selection is definitely different than the way a guy who's say been a Green Beret for about seven years the way he's going to train. The guy that's training to go to selection is definitely going to have to do um, be very very comfortable and do a lot more body weight exercises. Uh, you know, simple, I mean, just pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups. Uh, but he's also going to have that large contingent that, uh, that he's going to have to have that endurance piece a lot more than, say, 
a traditional uh, special operations guy would, say the, the Green Beret that's been in there for seven years. Um, but because they're going through that selection process and they're going at it all day. I mean, you know, Buds is a great example. You wake up in the morning and you're running all day. Now you might be at a slow jog, but you are jogging all day. I mean, the I think the longest run you do in Buds is 14, uh, it's like a 10 or a 14 mile run. So you definitely have to have that endurance piece. And most importantly, I think, you know, KSAR, I think at one point in time, just decided to do like this ultra endurance marathon and absolutely was wrapped after it. He was like done for like a week post this marathon. And the whole idea is you have to get your body used to exerting that, uh, that exertion, uh, not only just like throwing shoes on and having your feet, because if your feet get torn up, then you're screwed. So it's not just, hey, can you physically do it? It's actually, can your body stay intact? And how much can you function afterwards? And that's why you definitely need to. So I think the training for the selection process is a whole nother ball game than, say, somebody that's been in the community for a while. Am I going down a rabbit hole or am I answering your question? No, not at all. But Dave, what do you, Dave, no, I thought it was good. Dave, wouldn't you say to, like, uh, once you get into like operations, that the endurance piece is just in in a combat scenario is like a mind over matter type deal. Like, because one thing that selection proves is that you're one fucking capable, mentally tough, and then uh, if you get in, like, it's kind of like effort at the seminars. Like, efforts assumed at the seminars, your ability to endure, uh, you know, is just kind of resulting from your personality type, your pain threshold, your mental tolerance, shit like that? Yeah, but all, but also isn't there, like, once you get past all that, the uh, the operational intelligence is so much more. I mean, um, having worked with, you know, uh, people like Uncle Dave and other people in this uh, kind of, uh, you know, top-tier military-type deal, a lot of those guys probably, if you put them back, would not be in as physically a good shape as these kids going through selection, but their operational knowledge is so high yeah. that that's a real the commodity. I mean, those guys aren't going out there because they can run a fucking 14, 15K run, even right. though if they had to do it, they could do it, do it, but it's because their experience is so high. And, uh, you know, the other one I, it kind of was funny is people always use interchangeable, use the term special forces with special operations, and uh, that's why Dave all of a sudden switched over to the Green Berets, because that refers to, and Dave can explain it better than I can. Yeah, I, I definitely would say that, I mean, you can, I think you could drop anybody in the special operations community in that, for lack of a better word, say a triathlon, and they would complete it, would they finish first? No. Would they finish last? More than likely. I mean, they've got the mental capacity, and like Luke, you were saying, it's it's definitely mind over matter. But I don't think, as a whole, the the special op the special operations community ch uh, trains that way because those aren't the physical stressors that we're going to be most confronted with. You know, we're not. It's not. It's not. You know, slow and steady. It's a. You know, 100 miles an hour back to zero. 100 miles an hour back to zero, and that's really, I think, where most guys are training these days. Yeah, that's why, you know, we train Dave like middle linebacker for the Green Bay Packers. Run downhill real fast, hit something, and get out. So you, Dave's really Clay Matthews. He is. This is uh, – we're, we're actually <laughs> using – yeah, we're actually using codename Dave, but this is <laughs> – Packers just signed Julius Peppers. Yeah, I saw that, dude. Yeah, JP. Uh, he's what, – what's he, about 47 now? But he's still a piece. Yeah, I do. He's, he's operational capacity. No, he's my age. It's like, yeah, he's yeah. We came out the same year, so I mean, this will be like year what, like fifteen or sixteen for him. I mean, he's you know. he's like a uh, like you read the what they're saying about him is he's like a four three guy, and you know the Packers like standard defense is three four. I mean, does it really make a difference, John, if you're four three three four? Don't doesn't every yes. really play some version of the of those packages anyway? Yeah, so what he is, he's an outside rush end, and usually those guys don't always do really well when they put them in a two-point position. That's why when all of a sudden they go to like a, a more of a 4-3 front, they will bring in like a Clay Matthews and let him rush the passer. So sure. what's going to happen is he's not big enough to play uh, that kind of tight five, which is what they need, which is like that big defensive end. He's more of like a wide nine even though he's a pretty good-sized guy. So I think he'll struggle a little bit because he's not necessarily a two-point guy, but he's also not 
big enough to, you know, play over a tackle where he's given up 40, 50, 60, 70 pounds. Um, you know, maybe the Packers are going to change their defense. Maybe they have a deal for him. I mean, obviously the guy's a gifted player, and he'll find a way to, to be successful, and good for him for getting another bite of that apple. So back on the, back on the track. <laughs> Denny, I know it's like when we get to talk about the Bears, why not? Uh, the Bears. Let's see. So, so Uncle Dave, why don't we do this? Let's let's uh, let's see if we have any questions. That, that question. Yeah, let's let's check that out and see if we have a question from the audience. I know. I think Callie dropped a question about um, alcohol consumption. Uh, no, uh, Callie was having talking, a good time. So when Callie came, when Callie and Tex interviewed with us, Uncle Dave was there. Oh, when we were in uh, when we were in Philadelphia. Yeah, and you remember like wow, how this is deep. This is deep shit here. So whenever we scout out talent and need someone checked out, we bring Uncle Babe because there's nobody who can you know dive into the soul of another individual like uh, Uncle Dave. Talent. By diving into the soul, he means and I mean immediately insult and uh, destroy <laughs> mentally, and basically um, Luke just needs to see what their staying power is. Can they handle it? Well, what's even better is Dave's actually using a device that actually transforms and masks his voice. So that static you hear is Dave's uh, voice conversion because we're trying to protect <laughs> his uh, his identity. But so, it, it's true. We we were in Philadelphia and uh, Tex and Cal or uh, yeah, Tex and Cali came in for their first kind of interview for the seminar staff, and they just happened to uh, catch some personality traits of our crew that they immediately thought that we were fucking with them. Which like for one. Uh, Tex and Kelly uh, are probably two of the slowest drivers you've oh ever my been God. around. And uh, I well, drive literally uh, foot to the accelerator to get to the floorboard from stoplight to stoplight. Driving in South Philly where I used to live, like it's like you know, one-way streets, blowing past. You do rolling stops. I mean, there's a whole set of driving skills for driving in South Philly that are different than anywhere else. And you really don't stop at stop signs. You basically blow through things. You kind of go one-way streets. You know, people actually park two and three deep on a street, even though it's a two-way. I mean, there's just on yeah. the sidewalks. And they they thought I was trying to ditch them the whole time, just not realizing that I was in my South Philly driving mode. And to put a little context, and I know we've talked about this previously on the podcast, but we were in Philly for a cert, and uh, we were going on a cheese a cheesesteak tour. So part of the deal is, um, you know, whenever people come to Philly that aren't from Philly, there's this idea of these Philly cheesesteaks, and the only way that you are going to get a true, authentic experience of the Philly cheesesteak is by going with somebody that's either from Philly or somebody like me that used to live there and hit all the local spots. So every tourist can go to Pat's and Geno's, which you have to go to just to kind of get a sampling, but there's a couple other places like Tony Luke's and a few others. There's like gyms on South Street that you wouldn't really know about unless you were a local. So I took these guys on a five-stop five tour of all the best cheesesteaks of Philly as seen through John Wellborn's eyes. Uh, needless to say, we don't eat bread. Uncle Dave doesn't eat bread. I don't eat bread, but we eat decided bread. to... <laughs> go and kill some cheesesteak sandwiches and eat some bread. And uh, I think Callie and Tex had this idea that we were almost like these CrossFit football, you know, power athlete monks where we lived in the gym. Everything we ate, we, like, killed ourselves and was, like, uh, you know, sourced from, like, the guy down the street. We grew, I mean, I, she, I think they had a, a pretty good uh, angelic vision of who we were, and then all of a sudden here we are just crushing cheesesteaks. Uh, Uncle Dave obviously is... Um, uh, slightly abrasive, or can be slightly abrasive. So, uh, so like we we were. This was like a get to know you session, and I'm asking questions like, I don't know, what's your favorite cult? Like just like appropriate interview questions that I'm, I thought were appropriate. And Uncle Dave is like, well, let's let's, Kelly, I want to ask you something. Um, if I were to look at your internet search history, would there be anything in there you wouldn't be proud of? And if so, what? <laughs> and she's like, Callie's was taken aback by this thing, and she's like, uh, 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 and as, like, let's let's be honest, are you lesbian or what? Like, and as just, I'm <laughs> uh, as I'm purchasing like dozens of cheesesteaks, and then we're sitting there eating at them, being like, eat your cheesesteak. We and gotta go. We have five minutes yeah, to finish. Yeah, yeah, cheese we, steak. yeah, Let's go. We got five minutes to, before we hit the next place. Uh, this is a real story. This is what happened. And, uh, yeah, and then Tex, who, uh, I mean, I'm not kidding. Tex and Kelly both drive very, very conservatively. What was Tex driving, wasn't it? Yeah, it was bad. 
Or was it Callie driving? Uh, I don't remember. Either, irrelevant. I thought it was Callie because they were driving her Jeep. But, uh, the so best like, part is, though, what was it? We, we were driving a Chevy Caprice or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Was it the old, it was the, it was, we got the cop car that time, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a Crown Vic. Oh, nice. So, yeah, we, we had a minivan and a Crown Vic because we had Kate and the kids with us. So, uh, we left the minivan with, with Kate, and I think we were rolling the black Crown Vic. Which is actually the perfect car in South Philly, because you, people either think you're like a you know some like gangster, or they think you are a, a cop. So it's e- either way you're you, you know you're like a you know baby on Christmas. So Dave, do you remember what else you were you're asking, texting Kelly or uh, Callie? I I can't, brother. I was literally just creating scenarios in my head and then you know letting them come flowing out of my mouth. I I think that they were totally taken aback. One that we were sitting there eating bread and stuffing it down their throats. I think that that right there they thought was a test. They were look, looking for hidden cameras and stuff like that, and that's after they caught up with us. Well, later on they actually asked me, hey, uh, was that just a big test? I mean, were you fucking with us? And I was kind of like, actually, no. No, but that's what That's we do. just part for our course. <laughs> I guess one of Callie's, Callie's chiming in with other questions you asked her, and uh, it was like, do you know what DP is? And if so, do you like it? Wow. Oh, Holy smokes. I'm not sure what you meant good, by that, Dave. Good thing by Uncle Dave is not a uh, power athlete employee or we might get into trouble. We just bring <laughs> him more in as a uh, independent uh, source to, um, I, don't know, I don't know what we bring him. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 still, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out your role in this whole thing, but uh, yeah, I'm, I, I don't think we should admit to any improprieties. I might technically get us sued. Sure. Well, well I so, mean, who knows what he meant by DP? Luke, are you saying she doesn't like digital photography? Or that's what, what I said. Yeah, and clearly she doesn't. She doesn't even know how to use a camera. That's true. Well, I know, and that's why. I, hey, dude, that's a that's an important part because who's taking all the photos at the certs for you guys? Well, <laughs> well, that's what Uncle Dave does. Yeah. Well, he did until uh, there was an incident <laughs> with a uh, certain camera uh, during a um, uh, during the photo. So. Uncle Dave's job is to make sure that we always get a nice photo and then to kind of get the crowd going. And after some lewd acts with the camera in front of the crowd, uh, which we ended up getting a, uh, we, during one of our reviews, there was a, a reference to uh, the inappropriate uh, <laughs> the inappropriate acts of a camera and one of our cert staff, which I had to deal with uh, CrossFit about. So I think we refunded them based on it. But, you know, hey, it's people helping people. The, that was one of the best photos, though, Ever. I mean, yeah. actually, everybody was smiling. <laughs> and then there was a couple just disgusted people. Yeah, there was one girl who was very upset about that. Half the crowd looks like they're manic depressed, like you're sitting there at an Edgar Allan Poe symposium or something like that. The other half is just, like, flexing or giving some sort of cool hand gesture. I think it was even keel across the board. Everybody was smiling. It made for a great photo. Yeah, I mean, we, we usually get, like, kind of a contrast of, like, the mean mug to, like, the uh, scissor gang mafia, which is what I like to refer to them as. It's, like, the two, like, the two-finger what-up, like, sideways uh, peace sign is what I call scissor gang mafia. So, uh, yeah, we either get scissor gang or we get uh, the, mean, the mean mug. So, yeah, people were having a good time. You know, we had about a 95% uh, success rate on that one and the 5%, you know, we had to refund, but it's okay. <laughs> Let's uh, so let's 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 help some people. Should we help some people and answer some questions? People, uh, people. help. Uh, how are you going to pronounce that? Elier, Elier, Elier um, Cohen. Uh, I'm an officer in the Israeli Army, and for the last six months, been following CrossFit football, listening to the Power Athlete podcast, and lately been coaching my little brother as he is about to get drafted in, into the army. Also. When scaling the workouts, what guidelines should I follow? Uh, what I'm doing right now is using a certain percentage of what is prescribed and try to advance through. He gives an example. Uh, Saturday's workout, 10 rounds of three deadlifts at 315, five clapping push-ups, and seven-fold G glute ham raises. I scaled it to 70% on the deadlift weight, using the same number of rounds and reps in all others. Every couple of weeks, I try to push up that percentage towards the prescribed weight. Obviously, I invented this idea out of thin air, and as I'm coaching my brother, I come to ask myself, which guidelines should I have to scaling? 
Am I doing it totally wrong? Should the number of rounds be scaled for novices too? Numbers, reps, weights, etc. Um, and then he asks, what about cardio? Should the length of a sprint be scaled for a weaker athlete? Should skill work, cardio work, or strength work also be scaled? How to differ? Um, there's a million questions for me out there, but I think the idea is clear. Thanks for the great programming. Dude, there are about uh, seven Ooh. podcasts in this thing. I, wow. I don't know if I have enough time to necessarily answer these, but let's start uh, attacking them one by one. Uh, obviously, um, you know, this guy's uh, in the Israeli army, and uh, Israel, uh, Israel is different than the United States in that they actually have a draft, and I know Uncle Dave has mentioned it numerous times to me that he believes America would be better if there was a draft. So I'm sure you're excited about that. Uh in terms of scaling the workouts, um, we tell people and give them in on a little bit of hint. When I design these workouts, they're actually designed for me selfishly and somebody like me. So uh, if I have a 600-pound deadlift and I prescribe a 315-pound deadlift, it's pretty much assuming that that's somewhere around you know, 55-60% of my 1RM and I should easily be able to pull this uh, 30 times. Uh, in 10 rounds. Like, this should not be a difficult workout for me. Five topping push-ups, seven GHRs. Uh, we've done this workout, and this is easily a uh, seven, eight-minute workout, sub-10 minutes. So if, for example, you go into this, and your max deadlift is 320 pounds, and this workout takes you three hours to do, then you're doing it all wrong. Um, what I would do is I would start with your 1RM and say, hey, you know what, I pull 320 pounds. Realistically, this workout should probably be done somewhere around 200, 205, maybe 215. Um, you know, obviously I wouldn't scale the clapping push-ups. If you can't do five clapping push-ups and you're, you are in the Israeli army, then we need to probably uh, contact Israel and uh, get you put in the, um, the Peace Corps or something. Uh, seven GHRs would, be, would probably be very uh, uh, full GHRs. If you've never done those movements, that's actually going from that plank position all the way up. It's extremely hard on the hamstring. So actually pairing up deadlifts with GHRs is actually a real dick move on my part. Um, I think using your 70% of your DL is, is just about, uh, is going to be pretty accurate. Um, usually the way we scale this for women is usually around 66%. So um, Without seeing you train, without seeing what's kind of, uh, you know, kosher uh, isn't, you know, it's going to be a little more difficult. What I would do is I would really start basing these things off of 1RMs and be like, hey, I know that my deadlift is, let's say it's, let's say your 1RM is 315. Probably you're going to do this thing somewhere around 225 and <laughs> go from there. So I think the biggest thing to do is it doesn't matter where you start in this program. It's all about the journey. It's all about where you finish. So let's say day one you pull it at 240. 15 pounds, and then the next time it comes up, you try to add weight to the bar, and as you're getting stronger, you are remembering to keep increasing the weight to kind of keep uh, driving that adaptation. I think you're, you're definitely on working towards that as prescribed RX. Um, in terms of training your little brother, the best thing to do is strong, stable, healthy, safe. So if your little brother comes out and he's never deadlifted before, the last thing you want to do is put him into a situation where he has some form of metabolic derangement and you are putting him in a situation where he's going to be doing some form of uh, um, heavy spinal uh, extension to some form of, you know, of hamstring flexion. It's going to put him into a lot of, it's going to put him into a bad place. So what I would do is I wouldn't set a clock. I would say to him, hey, I just need you to pull three nice deadlifts. We're going to go over, we're going to work on these push-ups, and then we're going to get over and, and start working on these GHRs. He might not be able to pull himself up, but I would just scale. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily scale the reps. I wouldn't set a time clock. I would just more scale the movements, and I would pick a weight that he could do well. And like I said, it doesn't matter where we start. It's all about where we're finishing. In terms of the strength program, uh, we have this basic linear progression thing, so much like I've said the last three times that I'm like beating a dead horse, it's not about where you start, it's where you finish. Uh, start with the strength work, put him on the linear progression, start having him add, you know, five pounds to each squat each week, ten pounds to each deadlift each week, and, you know, two and a half pounds to his vertical press, horizontal press, and just start getting him stronger in that linear progression. Strength is much a, a limiting factor as aerobic capacity and anaerobic capacity becomes. Like, for example, if I can deadlift 600 pounds, but 
after the first round of this, I can't pick the bar up, then how good was my 600 pounds? So obviously we try to build capacity with strength, but, you know, and never allowing strength to be our limiting factor, but we also have to keep our conditioning at a fairly level, high level that our uh, capacity isn't our limiting factor. So what about cardio? Um, so he's asking specifically about scaling distances of the sprints. Well, I mean, ultimately, that's going to kind of change the whole fabric and really the general makeup of the workout. If you, when you see a lot of these short sprints, really what I'm putting them there for is that, I mean, uh, is I want you to be able to hammer. I want you to stay at a high uh, heart rate. I want you to stay at a high capacity. And I know most people can dead sprint for somewhere inside of 100, 120, 150 yards. When you start getting outside of those 100, 150 yards, and we've, We've, we've done this a million times, we've, we've looked at it, we've tested our own box. What do those really runs turn into? Like if you see a workout that has 400 meter runs, 50 air squats, technically those 400 meter runs end up turning into kind of a, a moderate run to a nice jog and that become more of a recovery. And even if you said you need to run as fast as you physically can, it's only going to last. Yeah. You're, you're not going to have the... yards yeah. out and then the last 20 in. Very few people have the ability to run five 400 meter repeats with, I mean, how long does it take you to do 50 air squats? I mean, for, you know, I mean, I don't know, 10 minutes for me on the well, 50. Elite, yeah, you're so, elite. So, well, I mean, I'll, I'll get into why I'm elite. Let's little say little it takes Luke a minute and a half to do uh, on the conservative 90 seconds to do 50 air squats and he busts out and let's say he runs his first 400 meters, come back and does his next 50 air squats and that takes him 90 seconds. All of a sudden, he busts out and he runs. So you're technically at a one-to-one -one work to rest ratio. That is not an adequate recovery to be able to have somebody sprint at a dead or as fast as they can. You're looking at like at least you know three to one, four to one, five to one to really be able to get that type of recovery. So invariably, these jog these these longer runs turn into jogs, and that's not what we're looking to to build. We're looking at building that anaerobic capacity. We're really looking on building that speed. And uh, you know, putting you in a kind of an extremely stressful environment for you know a short, heavy, hard, fast period of time. So by keeping the running short, we're allow we're uh, allowing the intensity to stay high and really drive that capacity. So the moral story is: would I would I lengthen the runs? No. And if you feel that you need to run longer for your PT stuff and for your sports specific or for your job, then you know what you'd probably need to address it, like Dave said, on your Wednesdays or Saturdays. And then uh, another little decoder ring for you as you look at, let's say, uh, the DWOD on CrossFit football. If you are if you see a barbell lift with, let's say, reps ranging from 3 to 10, I don't know, on the high end, that should be heavy. Okay, just generalize that as heavy. Most people know what heavy is. And then anything on your barbell lifts, let's say 10 to 15, uh, should be medium. I don't know. I'm just trying to give you give a guidance in terms of scaling. Like heavy is going to be relative based off skill level and strength level. I, you know, I think uh, we proverbially say like 315 pounds. You're programming for an athlete who can probably pull 500 pounds here, yeah, right? Five, 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 six hundred pounds. So you look at that if you want to do like a swag of percentages. But then when you look at some of the other compound movements, like uh, with implements like kettlebells or sandbags or slam balls, like uh, if you see something in the 20s or 30s, that should be heavy for that given movement pattern. Or, you know, if you see upwards of 40s, 50s, depending on how it's partitioned in the rounds, like you should be able to sprint through this stuff. And it's replicating the time domains of football and field sports. So uh, just kind of piggybacking on what John said, this particular workout, this 10 rounds, you should be able to sprint through this round. Granted, the objective is posture, position, quality, movement, but you shouldn't really partition any of these reps on no. this. You should be able to blow through this. And that's how most rounds go. Uh, for the most part, we don't want you necessarily to partition, uh, so scale accordingly to that. Unless it's a higher, like later in the workout, maybe you start to fatigue. But uh, out of the gate, you should be able to get through like all the reps, quote-unquote, unbroken. Good shit. Do we hammer that one, Denny? Knocked it out of the park. I like to hear that. <laughs> What's next? We got the mighty Playtech. He's awful quiet over here. Oh, yeah. The only one more. You're, you're like the super. We're talking about repping deadlifts. The you're only like the one more elite in this podcast than me might be Steve Playtech. <laughs> Luke, what Playtech, else? how did you lose this thing? Seven seconds. What the fuck? That little shithead. Fucking got it. I heard you get like two grand if you 
Yeah, thanks, Danny. Fuck you. Seven seconds. <laughs> so Seven wait a minute. Seconds, he, seconds he cost you two grand. We had the same score, and he beat me on the tiebreaker. And what was the tiebreaker? 7.07 and 7.14. So that was the, the time, time was... to complete the last box jump. Mm -hmm. did, so, you, did you jump or did you do the step up? I step up. Everybody stepped up. Yeah, I, Dude, on when I got the 365, it felt like fucking 665, and I've never picked up 665. <laughs> so wait a minute. So uh, wasn't that isn't that dude like 145 pounds too? Whatever. He's like 24 too. Give me a break. Yeah, that's true. And so he's like tonight, three feet tall. He's just over three feet tall, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, when you're 40, 145 pounds and three feet tall, you're pretty. That's pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> That's huge. So you got you got interviewed. Tell tell me what's going on about that interview. What you what uh, what were they asking you? Uh, they were just asking me shit like, um, what program do I follow and what do I do and why did I do so good? And I just threw some props to Power Athlete. Um, you know, pick up heavy shit and move it. You know, hard, heavy, and fast. Um, bomb the first couple workouts because they were light and stupid. This is one <laughs> that I'm like you throw me a deadlift ladder and I'm I'm happy. And yeah. that is your wheelhouse. I mean, Dude, so did you uh, what, did you post a video on YouTube or anything? It's posted somewhere. <laughs> I don't have the link, but once I get it, I'll I'll send it to you so you can put it in the show. Yeah, and I just I always like watching people suffer because I guarantee you went to that dark place on this one, dude. I couldn't even stand up. I felt like I'd been <laughs> shot with like a poison dart. <laughs> kind of reminds me of uh, Uncle Dave every Saturday night after working half a bottle of uh, of, uh, of booze and he gets to that dark place and can't stand up anymore, huh? <laughs> <laughs> nice, John. Thanks. <laughs> at, at that point, I usually get some abrasive, uh, aggressive text message. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate you, Dad. <laughs> I told you, Dad, I'd mount to something. <laughs> bitter at the world. Just bitter at the world. <laughs> you just why so blue, Panda Bear? Exactly. You can actually, through the text message, see me wringing my fist at you. <laughs> I, I actually uh, recycled your uh, White So Blue Panda Bear today, and uh, it was literally like such a kick to the nuts that the person that, that hit me back with it was like, what's that all about? I'm like, that's because you're just a little blue panda bear. <laughs> but Playtech, do you have any new Facebook friends or followers now because you, are, you were number one at some point? Were people scoping you out, trying to be friends with you? Yeah, my Facebook blew up and my Instagram and shit like that. People everyone wanted to do that. Dude, are hot chicks throwing themselves at you? I mean, they were doing that before, John. Well, I know it's because you're uh, a, a you know doctor of uh, you know professor. You know, you're uber smart and really good deadlifter. So technically, in CrossFit circles, you are like the bifecta. Yeah, you're like a, a you know alpha male. He's so yeah. smart. You know it's uh, and he's on the Power Athlete podcast. So you know what's interesting, Steve, is uh, this last weekend we went to the level one. It was me, Ben, uh, my girlfriend, and Ben's girlfriend, and we just kind of yeah, yeah. So we we were there, and like the first day, we just kind of hung around, asked a couple questions. Um, no one really talked to us. We weren't wearing any Reebok stuff. We had Vans on, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, Luke's rocking a bro shorts. pony. I am a bro pony, obviously. But, uh, you know, people were, like, talking to each other, like, would find other people with the same nanos or the same Reebok shorts, and, like, it was really w interesting to watch the engagement. And uh, at the end of the day, they have a workout. So at the level one, they have, you know, they, they teach you the, the foundational movements across it, and then they have a workout. And most of the people there had only been, uh, or I guess had been crossfitting for under a year. All right? Three, three weeks, one guy. So one guy was only, had, was only crossfitting for his life. three changed weeks. changed his life. But uh, so we get to the workout, and uh, typically the workout's Fran. But I come to find out that just based off the sheer volume of new people that come to these things, uh, people would go would get on the pull-up bar and fall off and fucking hurt themselves, like crack their heads open or break their tailbones. So they only now do Fran Natural if you have. What's that? Natural selection. Yeah, I guess. But uh, they only will do Fran if you have your uh, if they have crash mats under the pull-up bars, and this gym didn't. So, I mean, Ben and I were kind of, you know, uh, laid down a bet for who had the best friend, but Ben clearly does because, I don't know, he's just a better CrossFitter, I guess, than I am. <laughs> he's, he's, got a mar he's got a pretty good butterfly pull. Yeah, and he uh, he's lighter, 
I think he does. He weighs like 190. Yeah, he's got, no, he's got no chest hair, so technically less wind resistant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. he's, he's less <laughs> wind drag on him. <laughs> but anyways, so I I, I, I talked Ben into a 15 second handicap. Like, give me 15 seconds and five bucks says that I can uh, I can get within 15 seconds of your Fran time if we go head to head. Well, it's not Fran. It ends up being three rounds of 15 thrusters and uh, 12 burpees because they don't want anyone to fucking smash their head open. But uh, like I said, we were just kind of dudes in the corner. No one wanted anything to do with us. And then Ben and I were the last ones to go, like the third group, because everybody wanted to get in there, pop their shirt off, and fucking and get after it and, and impress somebody. You know what I mean? They had their weightlift. They were changing weightlifting shoes, putting wrist wraps on. And uh, so Ben and I line up next to next to each other. It's 95-pound thrusters. And I think the best time was well, like... Were you guys wearing suits? Like tuxedos? <laughs> like Dumb and Dumber style? I think they were rocking tuxedos. Dude, they were wearing t-shirts that had cutter written on the front. <laughs> and we just had a I, mascara on and uh, a Skrillex haircut. But, uh, dude, anyways, best time's like five and a half minutes. And Ben and I both finish in under four minutes. And uh, I win, which is, you know, a very important detail because I was the most elite one there that day. And, uh, dude, after that, after, after the social hour... Everybody came up to us and wanted to know who we are, whose programming we were following, and like how long have we been doing it? How do we get so good? And it's like, well, one, I guess we've been doing it for like, like yeah, for I hope you guys, so yeah, <laughs> I, I hope you guys smash the dude that's been crossfitting for three weeks. You guys have been crossfitting since like '08. Yeah, dude. But uh, it was just interesting. Like all of a sudden, we were like these celebrities. We had celebrity status at the seminar, which it's was kind of, it's a little bit sad though, isn't it? Like, I mean. No, for Luke, he, he, can't, oh, great. he can't keep – he hasn't stopped talking about this. So, uh, Playtech, you, like, you know it's sad. I know it's sad, but you know what? This is, like, reminding me of, of Luke life. Summers. The best day of my life. High school football stories. I mean, high school, fourth seven and one. Touchdowns. Yeah, seven touchdowns. I mean, right now, like, he came home, and, like, his hand was firmly in his pants Al Bundy style. It, it was amazing. I was like, you know what? For once, I didn't stomp on him. I just let him go and be like, "Tell, tell it to me again. I love to hear the story." Okay, tell <laughs> he it. Hey, went by a trophy shop and bought a trophy, had it engraved, first place, <laughs> CrossFit Level One Seminar. Not, I will be. I would gladly oh, accept hey, that trophy. Dude, uh, Denny, on the show notes for that. next week, let's tell the story again. Absolutely, that's a good one. <laughs> Dan, I mean, uh, we've heard It'll Denny's like opening stories. We've heard Denny's uh, uh, high school football stories. I mean, why can't we have some stuff like that? <laughs> Beautiful. But the culture that, uh, like, it's just an interesting culture. I was like, that you did get an influx of. Yeah, I did. So that that night after I did the first time, I got probably a dozen phone calls from. Maybe I knew like two-thirds of them, and then the other ones were like numbers I didn't know. I usually don't answer, but I figured, what the fuck? And people would just answer and say, Steve, you beat Rich Froning. And I was like... And then they'd just hang up? They would, I would be like, who the fuck is this? You know, like... Steve, um, you just beat Rich Froning. I'm coming over to your house to kill you. Nobody beats Rich Froning. <laughs> Click. And you're like... That was kind of what it felt like. Like, how dare you beat Rich Froning? They're like, uh, we just contacted Uncle Dave. They're sending in a uh, top-tier military, uh, you know, insertion to get rid of you. I heard, I heard the chopper sounds. <laughs> get to the chopper. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, there was like a dark, uh, dark car following you around everywhere you went. You're like, dude, is that Lincoln following me? Who are those guys in suits? It's CrossFit Mafia. They got to get rid of you. So can, next year is your year. Play Tech, you're going to be uh, Masters, right? Yeah, I mean, like, seriously, I feel okay about it because I'm two days off of missing Masters. So maybe next year I can actually, like, do something worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Let's make it happen. I mean, it was a pretty good week. Monday I got interviewed by the USA Today, New York Times, and BBC for science. And then Tuesday I got you know, some interviews by uh, not to one-up, I got interviewed last week by TMZ Sports uh, about the um, uh, transsexual that's suing CrossFit for not allowing uh, her to compete as a woman in the CrossFit game. So uh, TMZ hit me up. So uh, I got to talk to TMZ. It's kind of a nice. big deal. Nice. That is a big deal. You going to keep telling that story? Uh, we'll get to it next week. Yeah, it, it, yeah I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. I'll tell it after we uh, go. go. I, I mean, I, I have other good stories too, though. <laughs> It's, it's not like I just have one story. No, I'm teasing. What was that like? What did they ask? 
Uh, they wanted to know what I thought about it, and uh, yeah, that was it. They, they asked me what I thought about it, and kind of you know what my perception of it should she be allowed to compete, should she not, and kind of you know what I you know kind of my kind of stance on uh, on whether or not she should be allowed to compete. So why don't you expound? Yeah. What I said is I was very middle of the road because I kind of am. I really firmly believe that everybody has the right to live the life they want to. And if she has, you know, if this is what she wants to do, she wants to do it. But I also understand that CrossFit has to protect the integrity and they have, of, of the sport and also have to protect all of the other female competitors. Like, for example, if I was competing and all of a sudden this, um, you know, lady who obviously has you know, transgender comes in and she competes and she beats me, does that open CrossFit up to more liability and more lawsuit? Because even though she is living her life as a woman, she still went through puberty as a man, still has a different bone structure, still different genetic makeup, and even though she's taking anti-estrogen and, like, doesn't have an amount of testosterone, at some point she did. And if you look at a lot of the um, performance-enhancing protocols, they have gone as far as to say that, you know, let's say an athlete uses some form of performance-enhancing, that the effects uh, are not just, you know, three, four, five weeks. It, it actually changes the structure of the muscle, and the effects can go out even years, if not permanent. So I think uh, you have a situation where you are effectively testing for the fittest man or woman on the planet, and not the fittest people on the planet, so I think technically uh, it's a it's a tough situation. I mean, I, I can see where, you know, this is the life. She obviously didn't do this to try to compete in CrossFit, and this is the life she wants to lead, and everybody has the right to live the life they want. It's like, uh, you know, everybody was up in arms about gay marriage, and for me, I, I, I'm totally cool with gay marriage. Why should um, same-sex or gay people uh, be the only ones uh, not allowed to marry and go through this wonderful thing that we call marriage. Um, be, being able to keep them out of it is totally unfair. So they should have to go through and suffer like the rest of us. And, uh, you know, this same situation. So uh, I'm glad that I don't have to make that decision. I'm glad that I'm not CrossFit. I'm glad I don't have to figure it out. And that's why we have courts. And so she'll go in and sue, and then a judge and somebody greater will make that decision. And if they decide in favor of her, then I think that really is going to damage the integrity of the sport of CrossFit. So I also don't think that suing CrossFit for two and a half million bucks is going to endear you to the CrossFit community. If anything, you've effectively, uh, the community you like in this deal, you've effectively created yourself as an outcast and ostracized. So, um, you know, even if she gets paid the money, she's going to definitely get ostracized. So, I mean, it's just kind of a, it's a catch-22, and it's bad both ways, but I can see both sides, and that's what I told them. And, I was, and they were like, uh, could you be a little less middle of the road? And I'm like, no, I am middle of the road. I can see both sides, and I really am glad I don't have to select which side to stand on. So do you think like, do you think personally that it will affect the integrity of the sport, or do you think that's the, the greater perception people will have? Like well, people I, are going to criticize. Yeah, I, they, but, but here, here's my other thing too, and I'm sure every guy on here will agree to this. Uh, you could enter... Uh, all of us in the women's division, and I don't think that there's a chance that I'm going to win. I'm pretty sure Lindsay Valenzuela would smash everybody on this thing. Uh, those girls are absolute beasts, so I would really, I mean, and it would be awesome just to let her compete and be like, sweet, we'll throw you in the women, see how you do, and if and all of a sudden the girl gets smashed and doesn't even make it to regionals, then it's kind of a moot point, but I can see where it creates uh, a precedence and creates a problem going down the road, so I can see why they were like, yo, we don't even want to get into this. But I, and, and I don't know how the NCAA or the Olympic, um, uh, the, uh, the Olympics has dealt so, with it. Yeah, Jesse Gray said, because uh, he, he commented on Facebook, uh, Jesse was saying that they have a four-year window or something, like a four-year post-op window that, that you can, or post-therapy window that you can compete after four years or something oh, like that. Oh, that makes two sense. Two years. But there is some, there is regulation and exception for it. Yeah. In like in the NCAA or in the Olympics, you're saying? In the Olympics. Yeah. Well, they they had that one sprinter who was out of Africa, and when they did a genetic test, found out that she actually had uh, both set of genitalia and that her testicles had never dropped, and so she literally was, uh, even though she had male characteristics, has always been raised as a woman. So she was competing when they did a genetic test. She had both. 
um, you know, characteristics. And I think that was what the big landmark is. And uh, yeah, and I, I know that was, you know, pretty prevalent. But I'm telling you, man, these CrossFit girls are beasts. I'm yeah. like, uh, yeah, these, these girls would come eat us for dinner if they could, except play tech on the deadlift, and then, you know, I'd feel okay about it. <laughs> so we got uh, uh, Eric just dropped uh, a question for us about the transgender, and I think we answered it. Um, are her numbers in training any better than the other women competing? I like, does she have like science. a 700 pound deadlift? I understand the science behind it, and I'm also middle of the road. Just curious. Uh, I don't know. I, I, did they did they say whether or not she's like a a beast? Well, I haven't seen any of her numbers on some of the well, stories that I've written or seen. The one I'm blowing on is first of all, how did they find out? Did she ask them, or did somebody out her? Good question. I assume she kind of like she took the initiative and just well then up, you know put it out there. I mean, yeah, she I mean took the initiative. Then she's got questions about it too. I mean, I was under the impression that maybe somebody outed her. Well, I mean, if that's the case, like somebody outs her about it, then I think like you know then I could see it. But like if if she like contacted them and then they you know I I don't know. I mean. It's a it's it's a tough situation. It's something that they're going to have to uh, to address. But I mean, I think it definitely adds to legitimacy of like the fittest man or woman on the planet. And uh, you know, CrossFit's yeah. made that claim, and well, they've effectively think, opened it up to everybody. Do you so, think they're thinking in terms? Let's of like, add the fittest person in the planet. Let's add a third category. Maybe, or are they worried about like like you said, setting a precedent? And there's crazy people out there who are going to just go. Slice and dice and try to try to win the win. Dude, if you go have a transgender operation in hopes of winning the CrossFit Games, I've told you I do anything for a million bucks. Well, it's not a million bucks. What is it? Like two hundred fifty thousand. Fine. <laughs> Sign me up. Wait, hold on. Let's put a pool together to see how much money we can put together to get Luke to slice off his uh, his beans and Frank. He's already got the ponytail. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Uh, so I guess that's what we have to say about that, right? Well, I mean, it's oh boy. Well, I mean, I, I always joke with Dave. I mean, now that uh, I mean, I, I know the Israeli uh, army has women in their special forces, and now I know that they've streamed the pipeline for uh, uh, for special special operations uh, to allow women in it. So, I mean, I think that's going to be I, uh, Dave. Well, when are they going to start allowing women to to actually hold some form of special operations deal? I uh, I'll I'll just go ahead and. Uh... Well, next subject, please. Okay. I don't. I, oh, I'm not, I don't know that much. Of, I'm not trying to pass a buck, but I really don't. I know some things, but I'd really prefer not to talk about that, just because of the nature of the subject, and I don't want anything to be misconstrued. All right, then let's let's stay same topic, different subject. When's the last time you've been beat up by a girl, Uncle Dave? Um, I haven't paid for it. Wait. I so paid like. For it? Yeah, yeah, paid or unpaid. <laughs> wow. Uh, what's today? Wednesday. 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 Oh, it's been at least 24 hours then. You know, I, I remember one time I called Dave and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just getting ready for my Sunday. I'm like, it's uh, Saturday. He's like, yeah, that was the longest week of my life. I was like, huh? So, you know, when you don't sleep for a couple days, I mean, things get rough. Yeah. Well, uh, we got a 531 question. Oh. Talk about five three one. Sure. All right. So Brett's asking. I was wondering if you could give me uh, give me your thought on Wendler five three one and its effectiveness for building strength. I added it as a strength training component and to uh, and to crossfitting. And while my numbers have gone up, I don't feel much stronger. Uh, I guess we're gonna need a little more information, Brett. So go ahead and pop over same way you did with the question. Uh, how long you've been training? Uh, what are your Strength goals. What are your strength numbers? But in general, I think John, you can talk a little bit about it as a training yeah. system. Yeah. No, we we toyed with uh, five three one, and I know Jim Wendler pretty well, and um, you know know about the program. Uh, remember when he launched it and actually tested it in our gym, and we found some ways to skin the program that made it uh, a little more advantageous for us. And Jim has since come out and put out about seventy five different versions of the program. Um, the biggest thing that we found is that. Uh, the volume, uh, you know, one, the program has to be done as prescribed, so people do a lot of variations. I got contacted by a gym in Albany, New York, that was using the 531 program, and 
did not read the 531 book and sure as hell never spoke to anybody that did the program. Just thought that if like one week they did fives, the next week they did triples, and the next week they did a single uh, at a given weight, then that was good. Not realizing that there's actually prescribed reps and then the last set is one for max reps. So what effectively Jim did is he designed a program that was based on uh, a uh, volume and intensity deal where you were going to do a final intensity set of max reps and that uh, you know that set had to be to failure or damn close to keep driving adaptation and what people don't realize is that the strength adaptation that we're going after only happens after you know one, one rep past what you thought was possible so to go back to pumping iron when Arnold was talking about how to get muscles to grow he's like I have to do you know, one more rep than I thought. If I did eight reps and I could do nine, then it's the ninth rep. If I can do ten, it's the tenth rep. If I stop at nine, I won't get the growth. And uh, really, that's what Jim's program's based upon, is that you have to do that last intensity set. Um, I would recommend anybody doing 531 to buy his book and actually read about it. Uh, a big trick to this thing and where people really fuck it up is that they try to hybrid it with CrossFit by just doing the strength template and then using CrossFit as their assistance work. And, um, you know, I remember Jim gave a seminar that was up in Northern California and a bunch of CrossFitters and uh, people that were kind of in this community went and showed up. And this guy was like, so how do I blend five through one with kind of a metabolic conditioning thing that, that you know, really favors a lot of gymnastics and only lifting? And he's like, well, I wouldn't because that would be stupid. But, uh, and, and the guy ended up hitting me up. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're asking the guy to hybrid a program that he wrote very specifically. I want you to squat, I want you to press, I want you to bench, and I want you to deadlift. And I want you to pick all those uh, every week, and effectively what he's asking you to do is to pick those four lifts and do the 5-3-1 template in your, in your intensity set. Now he has assistance work built into the program to help keep driving adaptation with the volume. And the problem is, is that if you don't hit the riffs regularly, if you are not necessarily taking the right approach, you're not going to maximize any program. It's like our field strong or across the people, or across the football people all the time, Hey, what about if I take your strength template and I mix it with uh, .com or this other metabolic, you know, these other workouts? It's great. You can give it a shot, but unfortunately, you will not be maximizing the effectiveness of the program because what you are doing, and we've talked about it on here a million times, is what we call the cafeteria CrossFitter, where I'm going to just pick and choose based on what's available to me instead of instead of sitting down and ordering a complete meal. You're just kind of a cafeteria CrossFitter. So. Um, the reason that, and I'm speculating, maybe the reason you haven't made the gains is because you haven't really done the program as it was written. It's like uh, if you come to the Field Strong program and you don't do the warm-ups, you don't do the ISO stability, you don't do the test, you don't do the conditioning, and you don't do the extra credit, then can you really say the program met the demands of what you were looking to do? No, because you're going to be like, well, I didn't have time for this, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do this, but I did this. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like. I'm a huge believer that you have to do things as it's written. If somebody sends it to you and this is what you have to do, they're putting that stuff in there for a reason. It's like if, um, you know, for example, let's use Uncle Dave. I mean, if, uh, you know, programming we've written for Uncle Dave is very specific for him, but if you know he lays heavy on a ton of uh, trunk work because he has some pre-existing injuries due to just the stressors of his job and the fact that he has to put on a play carrier and heavy pack and move and run and do a lot of these manipulations. So he has to be extremely strong in his trunk. Now, if all of a sudden he decides to not do his trunk work and just do this and this and kind of skip away, and then all of a sudden he hits me up and says, dude, my back lit up and I, uh, I, I, I can't get out of bed, then is Uncle Dave to blame or is the program to blame? Well, the, the Uncle Dave's to blame because he did not do all the little things. So... I'm just speculating on this, but so sure. he, he's got some more info. He he went through starting strength and he stalled. Then he's been on Windler for six months. Okay. So he's at 365 and he's trying to get up to 400 pound squat. What's your so, body weight? Uh, we'll find out. So Brent, what's, what's your body weight? What's your body weight? Um, I'm. I guess what what you're looking at there is like is pretty consistent exposure to the same training stimulus. Well, it, but it, so if you think about this too, um, there's 
there is correlation between reps and strength, but not always between 1RMs and reps. Mm -hmm. So uh, Louis Simmons, I remember we were out there one time and uh, we were doing a 225 bench and uh, Louis, I think, laid down and did like 225, like 40 sometimes. And I remember asking Louis about it and he's like, well, I could bench five or 600 pounds. What's 225 to me? Now, Louis' whole deal, when I talked to him about how to get, you know, 225, and we really got into talking about working with combine athletes, he's like, get their raw bench up as high as it can, because effectively, get the, if you can get their peak strength up and then train them and do a lot of muscular endurance, they'll be fine. The problem is these guys don't drive the peak strength, uh, realizing that the reps will build it. And he's like, you know what, singles build reps. Um, so, I mean, we've done programs, and I, I did a deal where it was a linear progression on a 20RM squat. I got up to the point where I squatted 405 for, you know, I was going to do 20, and I got to 17 you reps. Know, I talked to him about how to get, you know, 225, and we really got into talking about... What's that? I'm not sure we're... Uh... I got a rebound effect? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I get 17 reps. I go and look at the calculations, and I should have been good for, like, a 650, 700-pound squat, and I think I came back, like, uh, you know, seven days later and got buried at 600, and at the time I was squatting more, so... I know for me that there's, uh, you know, when I see people all the time, it's like, oh, my last set of Wendler, I got 17 reps on my squat. If you can squat 17 reps on your last intensity set, there's a good chance that you're not hitting the percentage, not driving the adaptation, not training at a percentage that's going to keep driving strength. So they did an interesting study a bunch of years ago where they asked people and put them into a room and said, hey, I want you to grab a weight. I want you to set up the movement. I want you to do this uh, movement. Um, and you select the weight, you select the reps that you think will get you strong. Of the thousands of people they tested, I think like 0% of them actually selected the proper weight and the, and the proper rep range. Mm -hmm. We know that strength is built over, you know, reps over 85% of your 1RM. And, uh, you know, like the problem is, is that if the weight isn't heavy enough and you are not driving intensity and doing enough reps and literally squeezing it out and going to failure, you're never going to keep driving the adaptation. That's why starting strength works is because it keeps it at fives. You keep, you know, linearly progressing this weight and keep adding, but it's always it's those fives, which is technically in that 85%. And if you notice most of the CrossFit football stuff we do, it's always going to be in those fives, triples, and singles, doubles, fours, you know, even out to those sevens because we know that we can continue to drive adaptation hanging with these heavier weights. So he's 190 pounds. So he's 190 pounds, so technically he's just shy of double body weight. He's chasing it. Yeah, he's chasing it. I mean, you know, uh, obviously when you come from starting strength and you're doing these things, uh, it's easier. The longer you get, the stronger you get, the harder it becomes. So maybe uh, if he really wants to see if Wendler is really a valued program for him, instead of uh, taking Jim's recommendation and cutting 10 or 15% off your, off your 1RM, why don't you do Wendler with true 1RMs? Mm -hmm. We did that with a program, and... Uh, it worked. It's, and what about the cross, like hybriding the cross? You got to just ditch that hybrid. Well, approach? I mean, uh, it depends on his goal. I mean, is his goal to squat 400 pounds or be a really good crossfitter? Like. If your goal is to squat 400 pounds, I would cut back the conditioning, and I would focus on my squat. I would hit all my assistance work, and I would make sure that I was rested, healthy, and strong every single day. Going into a workout, metabolically, uh, you know tapped out and physiologically and CNS on fry is not going to pay dividends, especially when you talk about squatting 1RMs. What you need to squat heavy 1RM is efficient, healthy, and recovered central nervous system. Mm -hmm. So if your nervous system is always, uh, you know, it, you know, like it's thrown in the firing pan, like it's a kind of a, a hot thick soup instead of a, you know, hard piece of metal, you're going to run into some problems. So if you, I guarantee if he cuts the CrossFit back or at least the duration of the movements, you keep everything 7, 8, 9, sub 10 minute, you, and you do it three, four days a week, and you handle your squats, and you have another squat day, you're pulling heavy, and you're doing all the little things, I think he should be fine. I just think that you can't uh, really to serve two masters, and what CrossFit's done is it effectively has shown us that people can do these things. You know, you got a guy like Rich Froning, it's got a, you know, he's got these phenomenal numbers, but the dude also deadlifts 500 pounds, he squats in the fours, he snatches 300, mm -hmm. he has some super impressive numbers. Across the board. Oh, yeah, across the board, and he's got a monster metabolic conditioning, you know, mm -hmm. ability, so the guy's got huge capacity. Um, for the most part, uh, I wouldn't say that he's uh, the exception, but, I mean, it's very, the, the style of training is selecting for a very unique individual, so I think if your goal is to squat 400, then you know what? Turn back the conditioning, squat 400, and then see how you do. You might get into it and realize that when you squatted 400, it didn't help your CrossFit. 
but unless you, you never know unless you try. So I would uh, definitely go back and reread the Windler stuff and look exactly how he does the program. Do it to the letter. And if you really want to try to drive that last little bit, go true 1RMs and see how you do. If all of a sudden you get into a situation where you're squatting 90% of your 1RM for max reps and you're getting 5 and 6 and 7 reps, then we know, then we know that you uh, maybe have a certain different adaptation, mm -hmm. almost like Ben, who yeah. can do 5, 6, 7 reps at his 90% where I can barely do a triple at my 90%. Mm -hmm. So... That's all I'm gonna say about that. Uh, so there you go, there you go, Brett. Uh, I don't know where are we at. We're at like an hour, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're over an hour. All right, let's call it. We got a, a couple good questions here. So Denny, write this one down. Uh, uh, Evan, aka here, I think that's here for the booze. He asked. Uh, he's curious on what our thoughts on what it takes to be an alpha male. Like what? What are the Components of an album. I think that'd be a good discussion, but that, we can't answer that now. Go we that. should get uh, John Ro John Romanello on here, who's the guy that wrote the book "Becoming the Alpha" with Schwarzenegger. I was on that hunting trip with him, and he's uh, he's hit a pretty him up, good dude. Yeah, no, I'll hit him so up. So maybe we try to do that in a couple weeks, um, and then uh, do. But but here, here's my thing about here's here's all I'm gonna say about being the alpha. Uh, if you have to ask, yes. Right. About the alpha or the, the traits of the alpha. Get the words I'm right you're not the alpha. Yep. But uh, you know, the alpha just walks in and pisses on everything. Yep. <laughs> and doesn't really say much about it. You're like, did you urinate on me? He's like, yeah, well, go I don't know. Yourself. <laughs> I honest with you, I don't really know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't even unzip my I, I don't even zip up my pants, I just piss wherever I go. You know, it's like <laughs> like like the guy who is the alpha is I don't believe any strategy. It's just there's certain people that walk into a situation and they're instantly, you know, that alpha. But the alphas don't bother me, which makes me nervous of the betas. No, 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 no. No, the zetas? Omegas. Oh, the omegas. We like the betas. We don't like the omegas. The omegas are kind of interesting because, and we, Luke and I did this analysis of it, they're wannabe alphas that don't really have a place, and so they kind of fall to the omega. It's kind of a strange deal. Luke can tell more about it. Yeah, let's reach out to that guy. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 we'll get him. Cool. We'll but, uh, all right, guys, let's wrap it up. I know you guys got some stuff to do. Uh, John and I have some stuff to do. Everybody's got some stuff to do. Uncle Dave, uh, you know, who knows what he's got to do. But thanks, Uncle Dave, for joining us. I'm glad we could get you on. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You know it. We'll get you next time, too. If anything else comes up that, that requires your expertise, we'll be sure to have you. Expertise. I like it. <laughs> that, that's what I ooze is expertise. <laughs> you just, I thought you oozed eliteness. So that's Playtech. Oh, so yeah. Remember it's, it's when, Steve, tech. remember when I won that uh, workout at the level one? You guys remember that story? <laughs> Make sure you so, put that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, don't, don't worry. You're going to get a very detailed write-up. Is that going to be a blog post soon? Poke <laughs> high school. <laughs> Luke, you're the greatest. You tell us every day. Uh, thanks, Dave. Hey, if you don't believe it, nobody else is. That's right. <laughs> uh, all right, let's 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 wrap it up, boys. And uh, until next week. Adios. Thanks, guys. <laughs>